Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Few. And wow, man, I'm excited for this episode. On your journey to The Few, there's going to be many, many, many times in life where you feel like you're stuck, that the journey is a bit harder than you thought. In fact, you've thought of everything, but now you're just at sea. Today's guest is an expert at helping people get unstuck. And, and I suppose in terms of careers and aspirations, many of us have an aspiration of a career in Silicon Valley, the Disneyland of business where there's unicorns, there's opportunity, and there's beanbags in every single rec room for us to relax. So very excited. With no further ado, I'm going to introduce our guest today. Welcome to the Few Podcast. Never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. So you want to become one of the few. You can't skip steps. You have to put one foot in front of the other. Things take time. I have a dream. I have a dream. Hear inspiring stories from the few and learn what it takes to turn your dream into reality. Don't be afraid to dream big. But remember, dreams without gold are just dreams. This is The Few with Boo. Dr. Kyle Elliott. Kyle, thank you so much for your generosity and being on the show today. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and speaking with you and your audience. I have a very simple question, Kyle. Why do people get stuck? Why can't they fulfill their dreams? Oh, God. I would say the biggest reason people get stuck, or at least the clients I talk to, senior managers and executives in tech, is they don't have a clear idea of what they want and why they want it. They have these ideas, here's what I think I want, but they don't really know what they actually want. And it gets them stuck and confused. Well, you're pretty simple. I mean, you've got a fantastic purpose and vision in life. I mean, you just want a life where everyone can fulfill their fabulousness and be the best versions of themselves. You just said something very interesting there. You said that people kind of have an idea or maybe a feeling that there's more, but they just get stuck in their thoughts and they can't think their way through it. If you were looking at someone who was, let's say someone had a career aspiration of wanting to be the COO of Google, right? And maybe they've been working in the industry for a while. They're in their mid thirties. They're probably burdened up with a whole bunch of belief systems about themselves and how the world works. You know, as a coach and helping people on this journey, how do you help kind of unblock and deliver the clarity that they need to be able to make the next step? Yeah. So, okay. You want to be COO of Google. Okay. Why do you want to be COO of Google? Why the COO role? Why Google? And really unpacking that and saying, okay, is it really COO? Is it really Google? And then what are the steps going to be to get there? I think of COO of Google, if you're not already in a C-level role at a similar company, it's going to be quite a few lily pad roles to get there. And us backing up and saying, what are the steps to get there? But that's step two or step three. The first is really just figuring out, is that the actual goal you want? I have a lot of people who come to me and say, hey, I want to work at one of these Fang, or now it's called Mang with moving to Meta, one of these Mang companies. And then once we start talking, they say, I also want work-life balance. I also want to spend lots of time with my kids. And I'm like, hey, that doesn't really align with a lot of these tech companies. So starting to really take a step back and say, what do you really want and why is that first step? And that they are really clear on what they want, saying, okay, what are the steps to get there and breaking it down can be really helpful to start getting unstuck and saying, okay, is this a reality? And do I want to take all these steps to get there? I think that's part of the human condition where we're quite good at the audacious goals and wanting the big things, but really quite poor at ironing out the detail and figuring out what the, I mean, it's even in the intro of the few, the little step-by-step, bit-by-bit, making our way to the desired outcome. How much of that journey do you put down to the clients that you work with? 
having belief structures in place around just life in general and themselves and what they're capable of and the ease or difficulty to get the desired outcome they're seeking. I think there's two buckets of people. There's one bucket of people who say, oh my gosh, anything I want I can achieve or a lot of it, I'm just going to go after it. I wouldn't say overly confident, but really confident people. And then there's another group that says, oh my gosh, that's impossible. I can't have any of that. And either group, they can have what they want. The thing is just changing that belief structure and saying, okay, there's going to be these steps. How do we start moving toward them and creating a path to get there? And whether you find yourself in the first group or the second group, it's asking yourself, am I willing to put in the work and put in the effort to get to that ultimate goal? And is that ultimate goal even worth it? For you, the fact that you are a coach and a mentor and an expert in this field, if someone's reaching out to you, I guess you can automatically tick the box, which there is a degree of self-awareness in that person, mm -hmm. that there is more, which in itself is rare. Though. People generally don't reach out to coaches. People generally feel that they're kind of don't need one or don't need the help. How important is it for anyone to have that unique perspective, I guess that third angle, in order to optimize their journeys to whatever good looks like for them. Oh my gosh, that self-awareness is critical. When people reach out to me, it's typically because they want coaching. Some of the times it's because someone's kind of forced it on them, a partner saying, I'm sick of you complaining, or I'm sick of you being at home <laughs> unemployed, or their boss is like, you need this. But typically it's some self-awareness and that outside experience, that outside lens and objective sounding board can be really helpful as you get there. And what people don't realize is what got you to that director level or that VP level or whatever level you are at is not going to be the same thing that gets you to the C-suite in the next level. You have to learn something to get you to one level, start unlearning it, and then relearn a new way to approach it as you get to the next level. You're going to have to start delegating more, communicating differently. And a lot of the people I work with, they're like, everything I've done to this point isn't working anymore. And they have to start trying new things. And that can be really challenging to say, oh my gosh, everything that worked before isn't working anymore. And that's where I get to come in as a coach and say, okay, what's not working and what do we get to change? It's an interesting perspective. I believe that life has a series of off ramps. And as you said, what got us to the off ramps different to where the next one is. And for many of us, we just get comfortable. And an interesting statistics around small business, the majority of small businesses generate around two to two and a half million dollars in revenue. There's no real statistics as to why, but I perceive because that's pretty comfortable. That's about the amount of revenue in a small business where you're going to have a nice car, get a nice house, and that's kind of it. But when you want to break through that ceiling into that next layer, and you alluded to it before, it's not the same. The next layer up in any organization is not a level of comfort, right? Do you have any kind of opinions or thoughts on what some of the accommodations you need to make yourself to step through that and what you're going to have to leave behind, particularly what I call the mortgage layer, right? Once you start to pay a mortgage, that thing starts to yeah. drive every decision that you make. So what do you see as some of the barriers and some of the workarounds people have created to break through them? One of the biggest I see is around communication, how you're communicating that next level is looking different. You can't just communicate with every single employee. Once you start having 50, 100, 200, 400 employees in your organization underneath you, you can't just be communicating with all your employees all the time. So you're going to have to start developing managers and directors underneath you who can then support you and you can provide them with the tools. So mentoring and developing the people under you looks a lot different. The other thing I see with a lot of people is thinking, I can just work more hours and get more work done. Okay, if you're a coder that can work, or if you're an individual contributor, 
But the higher the level you get, you can't just work yourself through issues. You have to be strategic and create scalable solutions, hire additional teams or create new processes and procedures. And the people I work with, they're like, oh, I'm working 80 hours a week, 100 hours a week, and it's not making my job any easier. And that's not the way it goes. It comes to delegation, communicating better, setting up those right systems and structures. And you can't just work your way through this when you're at the VP and C-suite levels. It just doesn't work anymore. It's like they go from one job to doing 10 people's jobs and wonder, yeah. why is this so hard? And then, as you would know, you, you lose your self-awareness, right? The busier you are, the more your awareness becomes clouded. What about you, Kyle? I mean, you're obviously living the type of life that many people dream of. You're a coach. You're contributing with enormous value into the community. Your platform is positive. It's optimistic. How did you end up here? Oh my gosh. My journey started on Fiverr. I literally charged $5 for resume reviews, LinkedIn profile summaries. It was a side hustle in college. And then it kept growing and growing and growing. And fast forward five or six years, and I was doing like 20, 30 hours a week on this side hustle on top of my university job. That was a 60 hour a week job. Because I thought the more I worked, the better I would be. And I was not good at <laughs> delegating. And finally, I left that job to do this full time and kept growing and growing. And I went through a few shifts. I did resume reviews, then resume writing, and then fell in love with this coaching and realized I could make the biggest impact through coaching. I'm horrible with technology. I'm literally one of the worst at technology. However, my clients are these technology geniuses, these executives in Silicon Valley and other really hyper-competitive industries that are doing this amazing stuff and changing the world. And I always like to clarify, I don't just work with any tech person or any person in Silicon Valley, but it's typically these people making really positive changes in these in the world, diversity executives, HR executives, social impact leaders, people who are making a difference. And I couldn't go do what they do, but I get to coach them to go land these jobs and then be amazing top performers there and then go change the world. And it's so cool that I get to do this and help unlock their strengths and their fabulousness and have them go share it with the world. And that's what's cool. I think of it like this ripple effect. Oh, I have this client at Meta, at Google, at Amazon, at this hyper growth startup. And to go see them out there changing the world is so exciting. But this is your personal power, that the fact that you have choice and you get to choose to work in an industry that also changes the world. There's that, I guess, that manifestation theory. There's the create the world you want to live in, then live it. And being able to have those opportunities. What I really like about that story, and this is so important for people to understand, there's two things. One, you were doing the little things, just writing resumes, right? And what a fantastic way to learn about people at jobs when you just see that snapshot of so many people, right? And two, you did it as a side hustle. So it was the extras, right? There was no job ad for what you did. You didn't go out and get a qualification. You kind of figured it out from first principles, which is when we look at the guests we have on the podcast, there's always that element of that little bit extra capacity to do it. In terms of development, and when you're getting into some of these key roles, there obviously are more structured learning pathways. There are baseline ticks in the box you need, right, to be an executive or to be a board member. What do you advise people to do if they already have a full-time job, they want to raise up to another level, they're not being supported internally because they're in an organization that's afraid to develop them because they don't want to lose them. How would you solve that problem for someone, again, let's say mid-30s to early 40s, that just feel like there's no nothing left in the tank? 
I love that you mentioned the little extras because I don't think it has to be huge. I just finished my doctorate and one of my favorite books from the program was called Small Teaching. It was for teachers, but it can also be applied to executives. And it talked about when you're teaching, making small changes that add up. So if you're an executive, it doesn't have to be that you go find five mentors all of a sudden. It could be, do I find one mentor who's in the role I want, whether it's internally or externally, and meet once a month with them for 30 minutes for an hour for coffee and get their insights? Or is it if I'm internal and there's someone who's really important on a different team, could I see if they could develop into a sponsor for me? Or is there this program I've been thinking of? Maybe I'm a diversity executive, but I'm not a certified diversity executive. Could I start pursuing that certification? So I love the idea of taking on a small little extra, a small little development opportunity and tacking that on. I remember the beginning of last year, I wanted to start writing more. I'm like, oh my gosh, all these other coaches have tons and tons of articles. So I said, I'm just going to write one a week. That's 52 articles a year if you just write one article a week. So I love breaking it into small little goals. That's what I'll often do with my clients. My executives are busy. So we'll literally pull up the calendar during our session, say, let's go find 10 minutes a day, 10 minutes a week to go set this goal. So it could be mentorship. It could be certification. Maybe it's a side project. I have a client who wanted to learn more about executive compensation. I said, let's go find some time on the calendar for you to take on a project at work around executive compensation. Maybe it's two hours a month for you to learn about this, but carving out some time there to do this can be really helpful. And it doesn't have to be a huge, huge undertaking. It can literally just be a few hours here or there. And that's going to set you apart from other people who don't take on those extras. Yeah, it's great advice. I actually was writing my own blogs and then due to being time poor, found a university graduate that was doing a communications course and then gave them the core concepts. They roughed it in for me and I got to add my tone and flavor to it, which is another way of if you're time poor, yes. it's getting the ideas documented just quickly because, you know, it's 2023 and we haven't mentioned AI yet. So every podcast got to say AI on this. My wife, just some temping and helping people out. She's, she uses chat GPT now to write cover letters, to contextualize cover letters. What are the do's and don'ts with AI in terms of touching up your CV, your resume, writing cover letters? Is it something that we should be using? I think there's pros and cons. I think it could be used to give some ideas, but if you're a senior manager or executive, you're someone in your 30s and 40s, I would be mindful before putting information into ChatGPT. There's a lot of safety, security concerns, so I wouldn't be putting proprietary information in there, confidential information. I'd be mindful before putting in there. And remember, ChatGPT is not going to know your accomplishments. So even if you ask it to write a resume, it's not going to be able to extract your accomplishments from you. And if other people are using ChatGPT, you're not going to stand out. So if you're more entry level or a recent graduate, I think it might be an option for you. But if you're someone who's more senior, if you're an executive, I would stay clear and really work on developing your accomplishments because you're going to have to speak to your resume when you're networking, when you're interviewing, once you land the job, once you're in the boardroom. So I would stay clear of it and really develop that practice. I think there's other ways to use ChatGPT. I have a client who's going to a conference and hired a VA in another country to go through and find all the conference attendees' information and talking points and develop some scripts for reaching out. So I think there's good ways to use ChatGPT and other chatbots, but I wouldn't use your career in there or rest your career on it. That resume that's literally a reflection of your 20 or 30 years of experience, I wouldn't put that in ChatGPT, especially if you're more experienced. 
Now that's good to know. I think everyone's sort of in a free fall with it at the moment, just throwing anything they can think of and not realizing <laughs> that if once it goes in, it's in the machine forever. Yeah, I had a client who wanted to learn C++ or some technology and use ChatGPT to develop a curriculum, said, develop a curriculum for me two hours a week. I want to learn C++ <laughs> and had an amazing curriculum. So there's great uses. I would just caution you before you put your career on the line and your branding, you only get one first impression. So I'd be mindful before letting ChatGPT create your first impression. Yeah, look, it's like anything, isn't it? I mean, it's there to help. It's not there to do. So I guess in terms of just giving you some background and giving you somewhere to start, because often I certainly, I don't know what you're like, but I find with writing, getting started is sometimes the hardest thing to do. Whereas editing something with your own voice is a little bit easier for me, but I have ADHD. So that's probably why. So I think there's value there. One of the questions I want to ask Carl, because I think you're probably very well positioned to answer this one. I came from a background of aviation and there's an ongoing joke in aviation that unless you're in your 50s with gray hair and a mustache, you don't look right. You're not a match culturally. There's a lot of issues around that you call it belonging, but the ability to create an inclusive workspace. So what I'm really interested to unpack now is I want to go through the lens very deliberately uh, through a white male lens of which there's plenty around there, like my dad or me. And I think generally everyone's well-intentioned. There's not many people out there that genuinely want to discriminate or genuinely want to create a difficult place for someone. But on the flip side, I think what potentially happens is people close up and they avoid the conversations. And as a result, they look like they're discriminating or they look like they're not an inclusive leader. You have a very strong platform and, and one of your core beliefs and values is to create a place of belonging. I think that's since COVID or during COVID, that's played out very tangibly with the quiet quitting and the great resignations and the search for purpose in life. So what does that look like? Hi, it's Boo here. If you're enjoying these episodes of The Few, please show your support by leaving a review. It costs you nothing and the more reviews we have, the better guests we can reach out and bring onto the show to help you close the gap between what you want and where you are today even faster and help you on your journey to become one of the few too. How does someone that's never really dealt with diversity issues or adversity themselves, how do they lead better? How do they become more inclusive? Yeah, the question I like using, I'm also a white male for those who are maybe just listening to the podcast, I'm a white male, but I've also faced depression as a queer person, as someone living with mental health challenges. The question I always like asking myself is, how do I use my privilege? How do I use my luxury or my unearned advantage for other people or to make a difference? I remember in my last job, there was a really diverse team. And one way I was able to use my privilege, my unearned advantage was to speak up for other people. As a white man, I'm able to say something. And most often when I say something, it's only representative of Kyle. People don't say, oh, that whole community thinks something. Sometimes people... When I say something, they say, oh, all gay people this. But most often when I speak, I'm only representative of Kyle. However, sometimes in meetings when people spoke, people thought that voice was representative of everyone, even though it's not. Or people would overtalk people or not listen to people in meetings when I've been at jobs. So what I would do is use my privilege in those meetings and say, hey, this person had an idea. Let's listen to them. Or, hey, there's this issue. I want to re-highlight what someone else said. And asking myself that question ongoingly can be really helpful and say, how do I just keep using this luxury that I have? Not to be ashamed that I have privilege. privilege. It's not bad I have privilege, but just how do I use it in this situation? Or I remember during COVID, 
there was a worker asking someone to wear a mask and they were being really difficult about it. And this worker was in a place where they probably really needed that job. And I was in a place at the ice cream shop where I just wanted ice cream. So I was able to speak up and say, hey, this isn't okay. You need to wear a mask or you need to leave. And I was able to get loud and just be a loud Kyle. I wasn't representative of a whole community. And that was me using my privilege, my advantage to just step in there. And that's a question I just always ask myself. I don't always get it wrong. Yeah. That's part of this work is getting things wrong and then being open to feedback. But that's the question I always encourage people to ask themselves. I guess pretty easy if you're constantly looking at life at someone else's lens as well and the impact of the environment around them. And that's for certain people where they're able to go beyond self-awareness into situational awareness, which is not only aware of themselves, but aware of the environment in terms of other people. And I think that's hard for people to be that way, particularly leaders that are struggling or like we spoke about before, they're the leader that's doing everyone's job rather than leading everyone in their job because everything becomes completely reactive, right? Exactly. Obviously, part of succeeding in life is being around the right people and finding your tribe. So if I was aspirational and I was coming from, I was coming from India or I was coming from New Zealand or Germany and I really wanted a job in Silicon Valley, and I know I need to know people, but I don't know anyone. What are some tips for people who need to build a network from scratch? Have you got any sort of insights around that? One of my biggest tips is just to reach out to people, to take that step. Most people will not reach out to people. So simply reaching out to people can be really powerful. It could be, hey, Kyle, I heard you on this podcast and it was really interesting what you had to say about how, as a white man, here are some steps I could take. Or, hey, I really liked, hey, boo, what you said about this and just literally starting a conversation. That's one of my favorite tips. I've been on LinkedIn for over a decade. I've reached out to literally thousands of people. When my clients want to work at a company, I'll say, hey, I see you work at Google, you're an engineer. I have a client who's an engineering manager. Would you be open to chatting? I think I'm now up to two people who have flat out said no out of thousands of people. It used to be one, I'm now at two. But literally two people who have said no out of thousands. Some people just won't respond. It's because they're busy or they don't check their inbox, but people yeah. are happy to help. People love helping and talking about themselves. So if you ask yeah. people questions about themselves, that's one of the greatest ways to just build a network is reaching out. And you just have to take that first step. And that's what's really important. And I'm just amazed by how helpful people are. I remember four or five years ago, I reached out to an executive at LinkedIn, literally one of the head executives reporting to Jeff Weiner. And I had a client who wanted to work there. And they're like, sure, I'll introduce them to some people I know. And I'll give them a tour of all of LinkedIn. And I was like, wait, what? This person's yeah. giving my client a tour. <laughs> and then sent their resume to every hiring manager of the roles they were interested in. And it's just amazing how willing people are to help if you ask. And Carl, you are a top voice on LinkedIn, which is no mean feat in itself. So I think the fact that LinkedIn credits you with having valuable conversations and not spamming people, it really articulates the importance of that. And in terms of philosophically, I think life is always about selling. We're always about having to sell ourselves, which is one way to look at it. Or the other way is that we're always influencing and we can influence positively or negatively. And what I really loved about your approach with LinkedIn there is everyone you reach out to, you're helping, you're not selling, you're solving everyone's problem. It's not really a one-way conversation. And when you started though, like when you started the climb and the first time you started to email people LinkedIn, did you feel a little bit like, oh, I'm being invasive here or oh, maybe I shouldn't send it? Or you just always like, I don't care. I'm just going to charge into life and just email everyone. How did you approach those initial steps? 
I think I've always just been open to like, let me ask for help. If I don't know something, let me go ask for help. My parents were always big on like, if you don't know the answer, go ask for help. Go ask your teacher for help. Go ask whoever for help. And I think it's okay not to know something and go ask for help. And I think my parents, I can credit that for, at least in part, that it's okay to go ask for help. Go put yourself out there if you don't know something. And from the beginning, that's what I did. That's how I really started my business. Anytime a client wanted something or needed information, I didn't have it. I would go source that information from a half dozen people at their target companies and get insights. And that's how I built up my knowledge. I don't come from an HR recruiting background. So I would just seek out that information. And I was just hungry to learn, learn, learn. And I'm still that way. Because you come from an education background, right? That's Mm -hmm. your qualification, your PhD. You're very much about learning, which is really fascinating given you have a practice of coaching because if you look at purists they would say oh it's different you know education and learning is different to coaching is different to mentoring let's be honest if you're helping someone you're helping them and part of helping someone is a bit of mentoring a bit of coaching a bit of learning a bit of development a bit of training it's a bit of everything right I have the opportunity through the business that I own to work with lots of different organizations and one of the groups of organizations that I work with and find are really impressive in terms of getting things done are teachers and within the education system. What do you think that people can learn from educators? Again, one of your values is honesty, and I love that integrity. And I think teaching does bring that to the fore in business less so. People are less honest. Not intentionally. I wouldn't say they are deliberately dishonest. They just withhold. It's like that. I just don't want this to be out there. But what would you say are some of the key learnings in your deep level of knowledge in education that could really help people in business? Yeah, I would say one of the biggest is there's two types of education or teaching. One is I'm going to bank into you. I'm going to just give you a bunch of information. I'm going to lecture at you. And that's what sometimes people think of when they think of teaching, just this long lecture I'm going to teach at you. And that's something I don't do. I try not to give clients advice. And that's something really specific, like here's the font to use on your resume, or here's a sample message for reaching out to people on LinkedIn. Instead, when I think of teaching, I think of the second type that's more common, way more effective, every single study out there proves this, is this engaging together and learning together where the student and the teacher are equals, or if anything, the student's really the expert. And when I work with these executives, they're the expert in being an executive. They know their story their best, the industry the best, their entire career the best. So my job isn't to teach them, instead it's to help them navigate their career and to navigate their workplaces. And my job is to just guide them through the process. And that's really what I think teaching is to guide people through the learning process, not to just give you a bunch of information, especially at this level when you're an adult. Maybe when you're young and learning your ABCs, it's here's what an A is, but really you're guiding through people through the process of learning. And that's what really modern, good, effective teaching is. It's not just throwing information and shoving it down your throat. So they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks and that the plasticity of our mind and our ability to learn kind of peaks before the age of six or seven. I can't remember exactly. And then as we get older, we kind of learn less. I wonder if that's just because of necessity, whether or not the brain works better or it consumes more is really just a function of, well, up until seven, you absolutely know nothing. So therefore there's a lot to learn. And then as you get older, you just choose not to learn anymore. That's why it's not as as developed as it was. Ted Lasso has famously now, you know, probably influenced the world for better with his scene about being curious, right? How important is curiosity? You're clearly deeply curious. Just look at your career oh my and, gosh. and, and yes. what you do in education. But how important is curiosity to living the life you want? 
Oh my gosh, curiosity is critical. That's our jobs to just keep learning. Some people say the meaning of life or the purpose of life is to be curious and to keep learning. I won't define the meaning of life here because I think that's for each of us to do ourselves. But I think one of the purposes or goals here is to really be curious and keep asking ourselves questions. And I think that's one of the reasons I'm really effective as a coach is I don't really understand what engineering is or computing is. So my job is to say, wait, what is engineering? What makes a good engineer? What is this? And to just keep asking questions. And that's why people need that outsider perspective. And that's why a lot of companies will hire executives from the outside, consultants from the outside to be curious. And that can be so helpful to just get an outsider perspective to vent to someone else and say, oh, have you thought of it this way? Curiosity, I would say, I would argue, is critical. It's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, the ability for us to become so entrenched in our beliefs and so entrenched in our version of truth. And I think around the world now, we're seeing this play out in a, in a pretty negative, negative sense. And it's easy to disappear down those rabbit holes of negativity if you just engage in social media or you just keep searching for the same things on Google. What are some of your rituals, Kyle, that you use to ensure that you have the time and to ensure that you're able to, I know you mentioned before you write your blog blog per week, but for someone that just feels like they cannot structure a week or a month, then they just look back and go, oh, June just finished and, and I just can't remember anything. How do you structure life in order for you to find time for all of this? I would start with your life goals. That's what I often start with with clients. What's most important to you? What's your life goals? Okay, family is most important for me free time, having fun, money, because that allows the first two and then saying, how do I work those in to my calendar, work those into my week? And if a week's too big, okay, today, here's three ways I can make money, have some free time, spend some time with my family and have small chunks. And you don't have to have your entire day plan. Some people love that. Some people, they just want to post it or a checklist they can work from. Some people just want it mentally. But I find when people are disorganized or have a difficult time, getting things done, it's often because there's not a clear North Star, there's not clear values or life goals that they're working toward. When people have some clear meaning, some clear purpose, a clear North Star, it's easier to then align their days when they say, oh, this is what I'm working toward. And then finding that routine that works. And I find oftentimes at work, people usually have a good system that works if they're successful in their careers. And then when they get home, they're like, oh my gosh, I can't figure it out. And they're like, Kyle, what structure should I use? And I would encourage you to use the same structure from work if it works. If you're at work and waterfall or agile works, or if you're a marketing person and marketing go-to-market strategies work, take that home and try that. And clients are surprised and like, oh my gosh, I never thought that. And then they'll go home and they'll have an agile meeting every week with their wife or husband. They're like, wait, that actually worked. Or we have a little yeah. stand-up and it works. So take that <laughs> home and try it. And you'll be surprised that it will likely work because it works at work for you. That's such great advice. I think the only nuance there is in a work environment where there's a propensity for performance. And if you're in a high performance environment, that <laughs> doesn't always translate to the kids and the husband or the wife when you get home. Because what you're talking to there is, is something that I value very deeply, and that is simplicity, right? So if you have a simple and getting things done is a system. It doesn't happen by accident. The method I was trained in was the fighter pilot way, which is very lucky to be selected and trained as a fighter pilot as a teenager. This simplicity... This ability to take those processes, I think that's profound, absolutely profound, but also the self-awareness to understand that it doesn't always work. So Cole, if you were to look back on yourself, you went through a portal, you're watching yourself through the window of a classroom, you're 14 years of age, 
And you can see that there's uh, some anxiety in that young man. You can see that there's a little bit of stress. What would you say with everything you've learned, all the knowledge you've created between now and then, how would you put an arm around yourself? And what would you say to that 14-year-old version of yourself to either help them get to where you are today a little bit faster or maybe in a way that wasn't quite as painful? Oh, gosh. I would say work less and be present. I was always waiting for something, okay? Once I turn 16 and have a car, okay, once I graduate high school, once I finish my bachelor's, once I finish my master's, and I kept waiting for life to start, and then I realized, wait, this is life. All these things are life. This journey (laughs) is life, and not to keep waiting for something more and more and more. Otherwise, the bar will keep rising, and I'll never be there in the moment. So to be present, work less, enjoy the moment, and I think that is absolutely what I would go tell that 14-year-old Kyle. That's very insightful and not something that's unusual for people that have that kind of just genetic predisposition towards performance and striving. And I guess that's when mental health starts to become an issue is when you start to realize that doesn't matter how hard I work, that bar is just going to constantly go. It is the unachievable bar. I will forever be out of reach. So thanks very much for that insight. And being present today, I guess, in a digital world, is harder than it's ever been, right? Exactly. And I think going back to structuring that day and finding those systems, that's why I just had to go back to, okay, not allowing my phone in the room because I used now these past few months, I had my phone in bed for hours. I'm like, I'm not present. I don't want this. It's interfering with my sleep. So I'm going back to no phone in the room and just creating those little systems and structures. I was on a podcast a week or two ago for Pride Month and someone on the podcast said, it doesn't have to be that difficult. Just make it simple. All these things we overcomplicate, it can be as simple as no phone in my room. And oh my gosh, it's made such a difference this past week. I'm just sleeping nine or 10 hours a night, no insomnia anymore. Wow. I think that's the other advice I'd give my 14-year-old self is it doesn't have to be this (laughs) complex, Kyle. It can be simple. When I was 14, there was no such thing as a mobile device, mate. So uh, (laughs) I would say to myself, there's going to invent these things called smartphones. They're going to make you dumber. Don't touch them. Don't believe the hype. Go live in a cabin somewhere and stay connected. Kyle, look, thanks very much for joining us on The Few. I think you've provided some incredible insights for people who are stuck and looking to move forward. But more importantly, I guess, the belief that there's always a way. Stay curious, move forward. There is always an opportunity to go to that next stage. If you find yourself stuck or your ambitions aren't lining up with your reality, reach out to Kyle. You know that he's open to you reaching out. He wants to hear if you need help, just as he does and has created a career from that very question. You can find Kyle on caffeinatedkyle.com or LinkedIn. You can join his 257,000 followers on LinkedIn, Dr. Kyle Elliott. That's with a spelt traditionally, I guess, K-Y-L-E. You got to spell it out these days. Everyone has a unique way to say their name. Thank you so much once again for your generosity, for your insight and just being so open with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Well, that wraps another episode of The Few. And I'd like to thank our partners without whom this episode wouldn't be possible. Firstly, Owed Management, an organization that brings world-class speakers into your event or organization to make a profound impact on your people to deliver the results that you want. And Afterburner, real-life fighter pilots, a team of men and women who for the past 25 years have helped organizations surpass their expectations, learning the tips and tricks fighter pilots use to win 98% of the time. If you enjoyed the show, please show your support by subscribing to the podcast, The Few with Boo, or our YouTube channel. 
It's been an absolute pleasure sharing the stories of these remarkable people with you. I hope that helps you keep the dream alive, but more importantly, equips you with a few ideas of how to turn those dreams into reality to help you become one of the few too.